to another episode of That's What People Do. You are, as ever, joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and I have James K with me on the line. Hey, James. Hello, back again. Back again. Uh, we've just had our pre-podcast chat. We like to put the world to rights before we come on. Um, so here's the uh, the show version. How are you, James? How have you been this week? Uh, same old, same old. I saw the grandparents because obviously uh, the... Um... It's been lockdown's been relaxed, so you can have six people in a garden. So we went and oh, nice. socially distanced in my grandparents' garden. Saw them for the first time since March. Did you barbecue? No, we only went uh, had a like a beer and then left. It was only an hour or two because my nan's um, clusters at risk, so we don't want to push things. Yep, yep, excellent. So this week we are talking about Sir Francis Drake one of the most famous English maritime captains in the world. Uh, James, are you aware of Sir Francis Drake in any way, shape or form? Um, no, I'm not going to lie, I've heard his name, I've seen his boat, or ship, sorry, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, his ship is called the Golden Hind. Uh, there is a two-scale replica of it in London that you can go and visit and go on to, and it is really, really fucking interesting. Uh, it, like it, all the size, dimensions, everything, and surprisingly, it's tiny. It's really kind yeah, it's of small really, really to small. walk around. Yeah, I, 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 before I knew what it was, I would, I'd walk past it a lot and just be like, "Oh, that's cool." Like, it I didn't is, know what it was. Like, really cool to just look at in itself. So even if you're not going to pay the entrance fee, although uh, I managed to sneak on for some reason, the door was open and we didn't know you had to pay, so we just walked onto the ship and had a little walk around it and then got off and went, "Oh crap, we've just had a free tour of it." Oh, fair enough. So but the thing cool. is, they've completely fucking outdone it because they've put a massive warship on the Thames, like within sight of it. So you've got this oh, tiny HMS little, Belfast. you've got yeah, you've got this tiny little like wooden ship. And you're like, oh, that's really cool. And you turn around, and there's HMS Belfast just behind you. You're like, well, wow, that's fucking massive. Which is very impressive, and I've been on that as well, and it is cool. Yeah, there's a lot of ships on the Thames. So. This week, we are going to be talking about the man, Sir Francis Drake. And now let's crack on with it, shall we? Sir Francis Drake was born sometime in the early 1540s. He was the eldest of 12 sons from his parents, Edmund and Mary Drake. Drake's family were related to lowly gentry, not well off by any means, but they had land that his father, Edmund, would farm. Now, they were a Protestant family, so uh, we're also talking 1540s. So um, Henry VIII is gone and Elizabeth is now in. And we're now at that stage where Catholics and Protestants are kind of butting heads. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so that's sort of for a quick general, like where we're kind of at with the country in that sense. Um so, as I say, they're a Protestant family. They're living in Devon, which is not a great idea, as nearly all of Devon at that time and Cornwall next door was very, very, very Catholic. And they really wanted to stay Catholic, despite the Queen, Elizabeth I, being a Protestant queen and kind of being like, I think we should all follow along and be Protestant, shall we? Yes, let's do that. And then there's a lot of Catholics that are like, no. We, we kind of want your sister back, Mary, please, which obviously can't happen. But they were mm. like, we liked it better when Mary was burning Protestants, not the other way round. So that's kind of what's going on. Now, uh, they wouldn't stay long in Devon. Uh, in 1549, the Prayer Book Rebellion began. 
Uh, basically, this is when the state itself introduced the Book of Common Prayer, um, where they tried to slide in that Elizabeth's dad, Henry, had his cheeky little break away from the Roman Catholic Church. They wanted to sneak that into the book along with all the other prayers that go along religiously, like with the Christianity and stuff. And then uh, it, that seriously pissed off all the Catholics in the country, um, particularly in like Devon and Cornwall. So uh, Protestants in the Devon area where Drake was born and was being brought up, and he's only like four at this stage, they were genuinely in serious danger from their Catholic neighbours fearing violent clashes. So loads of them fully just left the county to more Protestant-friendly areas. Drake's family were one of those that left, and they headed to the Garden of England, Kent. Good old Kent. Good old Kent. I quite like Kent. There's a reason why it's called the Garden of England. For me, I'm from Essex, so you've got Kent, then the Thames is on top of that, and then there's Essex. For us in Essex, Kent looks just like an industrial area because you've got the bridge, Dartford Bridge, or it's Queen Elizabeth II Bridge. It goes from Essex to Kent, and then obviously it's just industrial areas and docks, and you're like, why is this the Garden of England? And then all you have to do is just drive half an hour down the road, and it is, it is pretty nice, Kent, I'll give you that. So whilst there, Drake's dad became an ordained Protestant vicar, to the Upner Church in Medway. Now, this part of Kent is along the Thames Estuary, literally uh, the other side of me. If I was to stand on the seafront and look over, you've got a general gist of where Medway is. Mm. Uh, at that time, the Thames would have been absolutely packed full of fishing boats, uh, boats with people crossing from uh, Essex to Kent trading. Um, and um, massive, massive ships that would be used for like trading out the country. Because like for uh, Essex and Kent people, the nearest bridge was London Bridge. That's quite a long way to go. So for the most part, you just hopped in a wee little rowboat and you sailed over, which I really wish you could do now, but the current is just too strong and the Thames is now too wide. So it can't happen. Yeah, and don't fall in there because you will get sick. Yeah, you will get sick. Didn't David Walliams swim the entire length of the Thames but had to have like a million jabs to protect yeah, him from infection? Yeah, I think it made infection? him very unwell as well. Yeah, man. That guy was just covered in goose fat. Mm. Yeah. Slippery boy. Anyway, <laughs> aged around 12 years old, Drake's father had him apprenticed to a master of a bark ship which was used for trading with France. And there, Drake discovered his sea legs and his master could also see that Drake was a natural. I'd also like to point out that Drake is a male duck, and ducks are very good on water. And the old phrase is that someone takes to like uh, takes like a duck to water. So I, I, I think there's some sort of universal symmetry going on here, that Sir Francis Drake, a.k.a. a male duck, has taken like a duck to water. Yeah, I was just I was just assuming because ducks are good in water. No, exactly. Of course they are. They're ducks. They're supposed to be good in water. But a male duck is a drake, and Sir Francis Drake is also good in water. Maybe I'm overlooking it. Maybe that. Maybe there's no universal symmetry going on here. But I quite. It, it, like I think that. it's a it's a nice coincidence. It is a nice coincidence. Also, point out uh, apprenticing. What would your dad have apprenticed you at at the age of twelve if that was still a thing now? Bloody hell. Well, my dad's always been in finance, so probably something to do with that. Oh, I imagine you'd be like one of those... Um, you'd be like a 12-year-old boy with a book that's half the size of you with a feather quill, and you'd be writing accounts. 
Yeah, and wanting to fucking just looking out the window and dreaming of voyaging on the sea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you end up like taking your big book with you. <laughs> yeah, you start accounting, and you end up just drawing nice things. Ah, oh, it's like a storybook. Anyway, that is. Drake's master, he was so impressed with Drake's natural ability that when he died, he actually left his ship to Drake, who was now a bona fide seafarer with his own ship at the, around the age of 18. So that's quality. But Drake wouldn't keep it for long. He's not the sentimental kind. He sold the ship, gave him loads of money, and then relocated himself down to the south coast in Plymouth, where he reacquainted himself with distant relatives who were called the Hawkins family. These guys were a bit more upstanding. Like I said, he was uh, loosely related to like gentry, so like some mm. people who had land. And the Hawkins had a wee bit more upstanding at that time. Like, I think they might have even had like friends who were in court, like with the Queen and stuff like that. So they were, um, they were, they were, they were on. He was on basically now cl- starting to climb a wee bit of a social ladder now. Uh, yeah. He's only he's only young. He's literally like a teenager turning adult. <clears throat> Although I suppose at that time he was a bona fide adult. At 12 he was an adult. So, with a fleet of ships sponsored by his distant cousin, Sir John Hawkins, which is what this podcast is also sponsored by, Sir John Hawkins, Drake and co. headed to the Spanish colonies in the New World with some very precious cargo. And I now have a quiz for you, James. This is your million pound question. What right. was the precious cargo Sir Francis Drake was carrying aboard to the New World with his cousin Sir John Hawkins? Was it A, fine linen? Was it B, a My Little Pony collection? Or was it C, slaves from West Africa? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with slaves from West Africa. You are absolutely correct. It was it was no it was C, slaves from West Africa. Drake and his cousin were hoping to make some money trading slaves to the Spanish who were building their empire in the Americas and needed some serious manpower. And of course, at that time, it was like, well, we're going to use genuine manpower and you're not going to get paid and we don't care if you want to do it or not. Which is just... What year was this again, sorry? Uh, this is in the 1500s, so we're probably talking 1560s, late 1560s. I'm trying to work out if that... I've completely forgotten the dates of um, Columbus. Ha-ha! Yes. No, you're absolutely right. So, uh, Columbus had discovered the Americas, I think it was like 50 years before... uh, 70 years previously. Right, okay. So, the slave trade was up and running at that point. Oh, yes. It was was up and running, yeah. And the Spanish pretty much monopolized on the whole thing. Yeah, it was always the fucking Spanish, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was to begin with. Let's not forget that, everyone, shall we? (laughs) yeah, so that's what's going on. Drake thinks that he can sell slaves to the Spanish, and that's how he's going to make, um, relatively speaking, easy money. It's something that he knows. It's something that when he was an apprentice on board the ship, um, that his master would also do as well uh, every now and then. So it was something he knew about and knew that could be done, and it was something the way to make money. However, The Spanish were not overly happy about a fleet of English ships just waltzing up to them and selling slaves that the Spanish, as I say, pretty much had a monopoly on. Nonetheless, they did pay, and Drake was off and away, money in his pouch, a successful voyage, if you will, depending on who you were on board that ship. But 
that was until Drake's fleet was off the coast of San Juan de Elua. Now, they were hoping to take on some supplies for their journey across the Atlantic home and make some precious and needed repairs. But the Spanish had other ideas. See, there had recently been a few incidents involving English ships attacking Spanish and they were taking uh, no chances at all. Now, despite the promises that Drake's cousin made, the Spanish attacked, and of the six ships that made the fleet, only two would make it back home. They absolutely destroyed them. Drake pretty much ran away with his tail between his legs and almost died. Like He nearly didn't get out of that scrap, and he was absolutely furious from then on. And he had a deep and unending hatred for the Spanish that would last until his death and would help him in years to come. So, driven by unending hatred, Drake wanted to get his own back. In 1572, he planned to go pirate and raid the Isthmus of Panama and got revenge on the Spanish for humiliating him years before. Now, it would go like a Guy Ritchie film. Um, you know, you know, uh, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels, or Snatch. You seen these films? Yeah, good, yep, excellent yep. films. I was going to cry if you said you hadn't seen them. Fantastic yeah, films. Very good films. It was going to go like this, okay? Uh, the Spanish would have a train carrying gold, not literally a train, a train of donkeys carrying gold, silver, mm. precious stones that would be hauled across Peru, then put on a ship that would go off to Panama. And from there, it would be carried across land to the other side where it would then be put on another ship and go through the Caribbean and then head back to Spain. And then from Spain, the Spanish king would be like, yes, this is good. This has worked out very nicely. But Mr. Francis Drake, he would intercept the crossing at Panama and take the area by force and steal the treasure and sail away laughing like a pirate. I've always heard that. People referred to him as a pirate, didn't they? Well, we are going to get onto that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, this is, this is pretty much how it went down. Um, like, almost step for step. Drake took two very small, very fast ships with a crew of 73 men, sailed their way to Panama, took the area and the treasure, except the plan didn't involve Drake getting himself injured. Now, he'd managed to sustain a wound during the battle, which was bleeding quite badly enough that his men started to panic and thought one he was going to die and two they weren't going to get out so they wanted to just get out of there retreat back to the ships drop the treasure we don't give a fuck we're going to get out of here but drake was absolutely having none of it and they escaped with the treasure and Mm. it didn't stop there either so likely addicted to the action because this is like uh the first time where he's got the surprise on them He's attacked them and they've gone, oh my God, just like what happened to him like years previously. And he's definitely got a boner over it. Uh, He wanted more. He hung around the region, pestering Spanish ships and stealing booty for the best part of a year. Um, Pirate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, the Spanish, the Spanish would call him a pirate. The English would call him a privateer. And we are going to get on to that. Oh, I it's... promise we're going to get on to that. <laughs> so oh, Fucking definitions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, so Drake is a quick learner. Uh, and he realises that, it turns out, he's unmatched when it comes to guerrilla-style naval warfare. 
He strikes like lightning. He's very, very quick and he's a very clever tactician. Now, over in England, someone of importance was keenly aware of Mr. Drake now. None other than the Queen herself, Elizabeth I. Now, with tensions high between England and Spain and the potential financial benefits that come from raiding gold-laden ships, the Queen was very, very tempted. So, officially, or unofficially, whatever you want, Drake was given a letter of Mark. Have you seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Right. This is very specific, so I will forgive you if you don't remember it exactly. But in uh, the second movie, Dead Man's Chest with uh, David Jones, yep, you've got the East India Company. They want Will to go find Jack Sparrow and uh, basically bring him back because uh, they want his compass is the yeah. main part of it all. But um, they want, basically they also want Jack Sparrow brought back. And that's the, but the bad guy, he says to Will, he holds up a letter and he goes, letters of Mark. And he's basically saying, give these to, uh, he can have these because Jack Sparrow is officially a pirate. Yeah. But if he has these letters of Mark, that would make him a privateer, which would then make it legal, which means he's no longer can be tried as a pirate. Oh, well, that adds so what, substance to that. Yeah, so um, obviously, historically, it's not brilliant, the film. The, the the general, the film series Pirates of the Caribbean, of course, there's David Jones and there's fucking zombies and shit like that in it. But yeah, yeah. there are some historical parts to it. And it's, it is like 100, 150 years later than Sir Francis Drake. But still, this point is valid. You get letters of Mark, the pirate... The pirating world was starting to shrink. Pirates were not... They were a dying breed by that point. Most of the known world was starting to become uh, known. Uh, Places to hide out were becoming less and less. So pirates were starting to die out. But what they did is... uh, The king at the time was like... "You can If you you come back basically and say... I will renounce my pirating ways... And I won't do it ever again. You would be given a letter of mark. And then they would say... Oh no, he was acting as a privateer... And therefore, we can't prosecute him as a pirate and you can live out the rest of your days. And there were some pirates who did do this. They took the letters of Mark, officially became pri- pirateers, uh, privateers, and then uh, went back and was like, no, I, I quite like being a pirate. And then they would die eventually as a pirate. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's like that's what happens in Pirates of the Caribbean. If you watch that scene, you'll go, oh, that's what's happening. They're basically saying that bring back Jack Sparrow and we'll kind of like legalise what he's done thus far. And he won't be prosecuted for anything. He can live as a free man. Uh, so there's, that's what's um, happening in there. Speaking of Pirates of the Caribbean, there's another scene. I think it's a similar scene. It's between um, that guy who gives the letters of Mark and uh, Jack Sparrow. And you know how um, Jack has like the P in, like, in, on him that's being branded on? Yep. They're having a conversation about uh, why uh, he got that marks on him. And the, I completely forgot his name. Beckett, I think his That's name it. is Beckett. Governor Beckett. Beckett. Governor Beckett is like, uh, all you had to do was deliver the cargo. And Captain Tur- Captain Jack turns to him and says, "People aren't cargo, mate." So it's almost so. He might have been told to deliver slaves, and Captain Jack has freed said slaves. Well, I, I think I may be able to answer your question. Your uh, answer your um, your query here. I believe this adds up as well in terms of law. So in the second movie, uh, Jack has a debt with Davy Jones. Yeah. He sends Will to go and, quote, settle his debt. So he says, you still owe me 
your uh, soul your soul like you promised me you your soul you'd serve upon my ship for whatever while long uh, and i'd give you the black pearl and he's like yeah you did uh, but i've not been the captain of the black pearl for like it's supposed to be like 13 years and then and he wasn't he's only the captain for like a year or so and he's like well you're a bad captain then and then he yeah. says what's my soul worth and then davy jones says 100 souls now apparently um it's, i don't know if this is a theory or if it is canon or anything like that it all links up governor beckett with the east india company had hired jack sparrow who i believe was part of a ship or if not the captain of the ship to uh, escort a slave ship to somewhere and mm. then i think it was he didn't do that he refused or something and then the ship the ship was sunk and i think either the slaves escaped or uh, they died on that ship and he's now technically worth all of their souls which would be the hundreds of them so he is worth a right. hundred souls people who have he's been linked to in that sense and that's why he is worth 100 souls and that's also why he was then branded the p for pirate because he he went against the east india company and they then branded him pirate so he couldn't ever be a captain or something like that or live properly i think that's how it's all linked yeah it's interesting i think we've gone off on a massive pirates tangent here yeah i'm always on board for a pirates Pirates interesting and pirates of the caribbean films apart from the salazar's revenge or whatever it is or the the one with the, the the fountain of youth are very good films. Yeah, the fa- the first three were great. The Fountain of Youth one was a bit shit. I thought Salazar's Revenge was a good laugh. I thought it was better than the Fountain of Youth one. Stranger Tides. Fountain of Youth was terrible. It had a fucking mermaid in it and it was weird. Yeah, I like I liked the other one. Apparently they're gonna uh, they're bringing them back, but Johnny Depp won't be in it, and it'll be about Will and Elizabeth and their son. I thought Johnny Depp was back in it. This is the sixth movie, and he was recast after the whole Amber Heard situation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're doing. It's all gone very quiet. But I think they're because obviously at the end of the cutscene, spoilers if you haven't seen it, of the last one is Davy Jones walks into the bedroom of Elizabeth and Will. Mm, interesting. Wait, Will is Davy Jones. Have you not seen it? I don't think I have seen it then. Oh fuck! I'll just spoil it for you. I'm gonna watch it tonight. I have Disney Plus. I'll watch it tonight. Anyway, yeah, back yeah, to the it. pod where we are. We're back. We're, we're going. We need to go back now, like 200 years, back to the 1500s, late 1500s, with with Drake, who is, as I say, officially slash unofficially, whatever you want to go for, he has been given a letter of mark, given which gives him permission to raid Spanish ships for any loot or treasure they may be carrying, and then be able to sell the captured vessel. And Drake was officially made a privateer. So this is the part I was talking about. It is now time to differentiate pirate and privateer. Full stop. It stops here. No one can ever call him a pirate. Well, no, it does. You can. Anyway, a privateer is, in simple terms, a legal pirate. They have letters from their respective nation licensing them to attack any vessel belonging to a nation your home nation is at war with. Make sense? Yeah. So England is at war with Spain, so they hire a privateer who is not necessarily affiliated to them in terms of they're not part of the navy. They are just a separate uh, private company of men with a ship. And you say you can go raid Spanish ships as much as you like. You can destroy them, burn them, loot them, take all the treasure you want. And any captured ships you, you take, you can then sell them again. And then the money is then split between you and the sponsors of your voyage right right so it's like it's like soldiers nowadays like it's not murder if it's war 
uh, yeah, in that sense, um, they're, they're, they're more like mercenaries, I suppose you would call them. Privateers are sort of more similar lines. I know it's not clearly like that, but it's, I suppose it's the closest I can probably liken it to. Uh, privateers are like mercenaries in that you pay for their service and they go off and do stuff, except they make their own money through doing it. Um, but yeah, so I think of like Queen Elizabeth as a mafia don at this point, where she's just like hiring Drake and she's like, go take them out and he's like yes mom and he goes yeah. off and does that and then he makes shitloads of money from all the treasure he's stealing and the, all the booty um oh god every time i think of booty i now think of london dungeon yeah. court show and yeah. i can't not say it like that never did that script though because it was fucking awful i loved it it was one of my favorite ones anyway um right so pirates on the other hand they are criminals full fully uh through and through they will attack any ship, regardless of who you are, without permission, which makes it illegal. Uh, they know no ally except for any deals that they may struck between other pirates, and even then they may double-cross them as well. Lots of pirates were ex-privateers themselves, who, when work dried up, realised that, um, you know, just because it's not legal work it still makes a shitload of money i'm not getting any work coming in and they just did it off their own back and then they would be branded as pirates uh which is it's just a risk you take in that sense so let's say privateering it was so lucrative that some became accustomed to the risk and reward lifestyle and say with no official work they turned pirate uh, pirates were also for the most part ex-navy men uh, so a lot of them had a lot of battle experience and they were really good on ships and they knew what they were doing. Um, so at, like everyone thinks as pirates, everyone thinks of pirates as this sort of like they're bumbling drunks just running around on the deck of a ship, sort of like fumbling their way into battle and then stealing shit and running away. Basically like everyone, they, they, they seem, they've watched Pirates of the Caribbean and like even previous ones and we just think they're a bit of a laugh. But actually, a lot of them were very battle-hardened men who'd seen shit. Yeah, that just only knew war. Yeah, pretty much. A lot of them were like, yeah, battle-scarred, and they were like, that's all, that's all I can do, and I'm just going to, fuck it, I'll do what I'm good at, which is sailing the sea and fighting, and I'll get to make money for it. Uh, like private soldiers. Now, with these letters of Mark in hand, Drake's most famous raid was one on the Spanish train carrying, once again, precious metals and stones. It's very similar to his last raid, but obviously he can't try the same stunt again. You know, fool me once and all that. Uh, so Drake changed it up. He went all Ocean's Eleven and assembled a crack team consisting of French privateers, buccaneers and ex-slaves who had escaped Spanish control. Now he made land and hid in the jungles of Panama and let his prey come to him. Completely out of nowhere, the Spanish were swamped by English dudes, heavily armed. Once again, this really couldn't have gone any better. For those that were transport for the, for those that were transporting the precious cargo, risking their lives really wasn't worth it for the treasure. So they ran and left Drake with fifty-seven thousand pounds of treasure for the taking. And I'm not talking pounds as in like. Uh, the number fifty-seven thousand pounds. I mean the weight fifty-seven thousand pounds in weight of treasure. Of treasure, yeah. bloody hell! Yeah, it's a lot. It is literally a donkey train full of treasure. Now um, the problem is now 
how do you get it all back to the ships? Because they they were being carried by mules and donkeys, and now there's no one to move the donkeys. They've all run away. So each man carried as much as he could, and the rest, which is a befitting of a pirate stereotype, was buried, and to this day has still not been found. So somewhere... Well... Somewhere. Why are we wasting our time doing a podcast and not finding this fucking treasure? Yeah, exactly. Somewhere deep in the Panamanian jungles is what is left of that £57,000 worth of gold and treasure just sitting underground somewhere. And no one's found it yet. Well, I know what I'm dedicating my life to. I know, right? I want to be like the, the Uncharted games and just sort of just get on a ship fly or a plane, fly to Panama get my machete out and just wander through the jungle with a metal detector and just go find stuff because it's definitely there somewhere. And th- people do ha- there are treasure hunters that have gone to look for it and they can't find it. I know. It must be buried so well. Can you imagine trying to find it though. That'd be great. Imagine if you did if you were the dude that found it. And how does that work? Do you get to sell it? Do you get to keep the money like because that's like... A... Yeah, is it finders keepers? Yeah, how does that work? Because, you know, back then it was, oh, I found all this money, I'm now rich, but now that doesn't translate. Like, you, I can't take these gold Spanish coins from the 1500s to Asda and buy a TV. No, you'd have to sell them to collectors or something. Yeah, because museums you can't sell stuff to, do you? Because that's free, it's donation. Yeah, you have to donate it. Which is a shame because you kind of want to give it to a museum so that everyone else can see it, but then you make no money. Exactly, when you could be making millions. Well, you'd be making absolute bank. Um, so, yeah, let's say, when Drake reached the, his crew on board their ship after the very successful attempt, they asked how it went. Uh, and I, the, I, to me, this is just like, Drake is an absolute lad. Drake looked all glum, and with a sad face on him, he was like, oh, oh sorry, dude, I failed you all. Like, it didn't work. And then everyone went, ah. Oh, fuck man never mind we'll go raid somewhere else and then out of nowhere drake pulled out this massive like spanish golden necklace and then was absolutely laughing his head off and said apparently quotes our voyage is made lads which is great just he just pranked them yeah he pranked them he was like oh guys i didn't do it jokes we did it and then he called them lads he called them lads i was like yes yes i'm loving it apparently So, the buried treasure, like I said, is still somewhere in the Panamanian jungle and is still an absolute prized find for any would-be treasure hunters. So, if you are, uh, if you do got a couple of grand spare and you've got nothing else to do, which I suppose you could do, you want, if you want, you could quarantine in the jungle of Panama for two weeks and go look for it. Um, it's there, it's there to find. Free money. Now, Drake's ventures up and down the American coastlines before heading home made him rich, but more importantly to him, made him infamous among the Spanish, who gave him a nickname, El Drake. Which El Drake? Which, yeah, El Drake, which translates to, and is, uh, it will, it, it's like one of our old uh, episodes we've spoke about, the dragon. A lot of that, isn't there, in history? There is, isn't there? We've got it with Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Vlad the Sp- Impaler was a his dad was part of the Legion of Dragons or something. Dracul, wasn't it? His name or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the just one. Dragon. And we said, yeah. yeah, we said about how he's like, it's a kid and he's just like, dragon, yep, I'm here. 
Um, yeah, the Spanish gave him the nickname El Drake because of how fucking notorious he was hanging around the Caribbean and the, the American coastline, uh, which is fucking ace. So, yeah, not only was Drake an absolute baller, making some serious bank as a privateer for the Queen, he had a pimping nickname given to him by his arch nemesis and was about to add quite a sizable achievement to his long list. He would become the first Englishman to circumnavigate the world. Oh, really? Fucking hell. Big fucking deal. He's the first Englishman who ever sailed around the world. Mm. We've got that. We own that. That's on our list. We've got that guy. He's one of ours. Put that on your CV. Put that on your CV. And we are going to get onto that in this episode and whether he's actually the first dude or not. And there is a bit of an argument for it, and we will get into it. So, Queen Elizabeth, sitting on her throne, being all queeny and virginy, with a white face that's covering some serious fucking pockmarks, and getting a bit on at this point as well, I think. Alongside her other sponsors, they've got another Mission Impossible that I really wish was presented to him on a letter that would self-destruct in 10 seconds, but I don't think it did. <laughs> so Drake was commissioned to raid up and down the South American coast, picking off Spanish ships for booty. In December of 1577, Drake set off in his ship, Pelican, which I'm afraid is not the greatest of names for a ship, with four other ships and 164 men. And they voyaged across the Atlantic. Of course, they had to stop off every now and then for some more supplies, including a sixth ship, which was a Portuguese ship, which they went, we'll have that and all. So they fought the Portuguese <laughs> ship, had a go at them, pretty much sent the crew packing, kept the ship, and then also kept the commander of the ship because he was very good at knowing the South American waters. So they went, you're staying, you know your way around. And he went, okay, fine. I'm not exactly going to argue with you. You've just destroyed my ship, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so they added a sixth ship to their fleet and they headed along the South American coastline, absolutely raiding wherever they could, laughing away, not like pirates, professional privateers, I'll have you know. <laughs> anyway, laughing, that's not reminiscent of pirates in any way, because that's not allowed. They made landfall along the southern tip of Argentina at a port called San Julian, or Julian. Now, when they wandered around this deserted area, the crew noticed bones, human bones, Whose bones? The bones of mutineers. Oh, this, is so, dear. this is so piratey, and yet it's not they're not pirates. But they are pirates. The Spanish thought they were, but legally they weren't. Anyway. Yeah, there's pirates. Official pirates. They were offi- they were yeah, they were professional pirates. Yeah. Which would be excellent. Imagine that on the side of your ship. <laughs> Drake Sir Francis Drake, professional pirates, and there's like a phone number at the bottom you have to call. Anyway. Remember I said that Drake was the first Englishman to circumnavigate the globe? I never said he was the first person, but arguably the first captain. But I would say I'm going to get onto it. I will promise, I promise, I promise. Half a century earlier, Ferdinand Magellan, he is a Portuguese explorer and he was desperate to find a western route to the East Indies or as it was known then, the Spice Lands. The Spice, the Spice Islands. I like that. Uh, 
he was funded by the Spanish crown. Basically, he'd gone to the Portuguese crown and went, I want to find a Western route to the Spice Islands. I want to sort of be a bit like Columbus. Will you let me do it? And they went, nah. And they went, okay, hi, Spain. Can I do it? And they went, yeah, go on then. And he went, nice one. <laughs> so the Spanish crown funded his trip and he made it to San Julian after some seriously bad weather meant that they would end up staying there for five months. Now, during this time, he was met with mutiny and he had them executed by beheading. And when he was able, Magellan left San Julian and carried on his journey around the globe, except that Magellan would die in the Philippines before he could get around the globe. He was beaten around the head by locals uh, of the Philippines at the time for trying to convert them to Christianity, which I can understand. So technically, he doesn't count as he didn't finish the journey. And the guy who would take over for him would complete the journey. His name was Juan Sebastian Elcano, um, but he wasn't the captain of the entire journey. So technically, Sir Francis Drake is the first captain to have ever sailed around the globe as as captain of a ship. And he was English. So it's the first English captain to sail around the ship. So we're going to have that, uh, everyone. We're taking that just so you know. Note it down. Now back to Drake. (laughs) Back to Drake, he is at San Julian and he is staring down at the bones left by Magellan almost 50 odd years before, which are still there. And apparently there was sun bleach. They were like bright white because they'd just been sat there for so long, untouched. And mutiny must have been in the air because El Drake had his own mutiny on his hands. Needing to stick out the winter months at San Julian, Thomas Doughty, who was the co-commander of the whole entire expedition, who in the, and second only to Drake himself, had been butting heads with him for most of the journey so far. He wasn't entirely happy with all the raiding that they'd been doing so far, which is kind of the point of the journey, but I, I don't know. Now, Drake, in an attempt to squash this mutiny, he threw charges of witchcraft against his, his co-commander Doughty and claimed that he had a letter from the Queen, which never officially presented themselves, to perform shipboard trials. Um, and then Drake had his co-commander Thomas Doughty beheaded. And El Drake strikes again. And this whole fucking story is just weird, man. He was like, Thomas Doughty's like, I don't like what we're doing. And then Drake's like, I don't like you going against me. This dude's a witch. <laughs> and everyone went, <laughs> you and everyone, do that. Yeah, he did that. He was like, I'm the captain. You're a witch. Oh, and by the way, the Queen said I'm allowed to do shipboard trials. So I'm saying you're guilty. <laughs> and everyone's gone, oh, okay, I suppose he is. <laughs> and then he had him beheaded. It's not funny because the dude yeah. was not a witch and the dude probably had legitimate reasons for arguing against his captain. Um, but mm. yeah, it's the fact that he was just like, yeah, the queen said I can do this, so I'm doing it. And what you're going to do? She's fucking hundreds of miles away. <laughs> yeah, um, fucking Ringa. Yeah. Now, after months waiting out shitty weather, Drake raided up along the Chilean and Peruvian coast like a young vicar's daughter running for a field of wheat. I really wish we'd done this podcast about a year ago (laughs) because that would have been so relevant and funny. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm glad you got it. If you don't get it, we're talking about Theresa May. And if you have to explain a joke, it's not a very good one. So have that. Now, around this time, he renamed his ship because it was called the Pelican, and that's actually a bit of a wanky name. So he then called it the Golden Hind after one of the main sponsors' coat of arms was a Golden Hind. 
and it is a sick name it's much much better than pelican and it's so famous now so that was mm. a smart idea i don't know why he changed it though i think he thought pelican he's probably sat in his quarters and went was crap yeah <laughs> why did i think pelican uh now no it no englishman and i mean this literally no englishman had ever sailed to the pacific ocean before they'd never even seen it and drake was the first person to ever do that the first englishman to ever do that so around this point only the spanish occupied these waters that was if if you were a spanish dude on a ship sailing around the pacific and you saw another ship 100% it would be a spanish ship 100% it would be safe and friendly so um they were so comfortable about all this they had so little security protecting their bank of south america which they'd absolutely wiped out and was just now stealing everything from it drake used this to his full advantage he robbed everything in sight and i'm serious right I, he he raided so much along this chilean and peruvian coast i cannot even put it all into one podcast so i've just narrowed it down to just a few um he stole chile chilean gold and wine from uh valparaiso he he stole 40 bars of silver at arica and at el caleo he literally robbed every ship that was sat in the harbor <laughs> taking i know right this dude's are like this this dude is oceans 11 but it's like oceans 1577 yeah he doesn't do things by halves does he no this dude knows how to do a bank heist if there was a bank in this but it doesn't Mm. which is better the ships so totally taken by surprise the spanish were royally spanked by el drake who looted as easily as stealing biscuits from a barrel then then came the mother load the Nuestra Senora de la Capcion was a Spanish treasure ship carrying 36 kilos of gold, 26 tons of silver, 13 chests of silver coin and jewels and one huge pimpass golden crucifix. So overall, it's estimated that this haul today would value at around $60 million. That's what this ship was carrying christ and drake took it completely by surprise the ship was not expecting to find a lone english pirate wandering the pacific ocean and the golden hind opened fire the concepcion quickly surrendered and the golden hind was now the only ship completely out like having destroyed this one had stolen all the gold on it and he was just now like yeah i'm now king of this area I also he just fucking waded in. That's like that's a big dick move. Supposedly, what happened is right. The Capcion was just sailing around because this is this ship is like what I told you in the previous heists he had. Gold and stuff was taken from the mountains of Peru, put on a ship, and then sent to Panama. And then from Panama, they could take it back to Spain. This was one of those ships, and he went, "No, nah, fuck it. I'm on the good. I'm on the side that they're not even ever going to expect me to see it. He's behind enemy lines. They're never going to see it coming." And he just took every damn thing that was on board. Anything that weren't pinned down, he had it. And he's brilliant. I'll also point out as well, I did say he was a lone ship in the Pacific. At that point, he genuinely was. He was the only ship left in that voyage out of the six that originally had left. And they they went due to um, being one set on fire. was because one of them started to rot for some reason. One was set on fire. 
the, some others were shipwrecked in um, like storms and others got destroyed through battles. So he was the only ship left in this voyage. So he carried on north looking for a passage back home. He genuinely believed that um, when like you go past Mexico and then you start hitting the American coastline, he genuinely thought there'd be a passage that went east from there and then he'd basically like it'd be like a straight all the way home obviously there isn't we know that now there isn't today there's just america and then it goes up into the arctic yeah Um, but what he did he carried on going north looking for a passage back home it was here that drake discovered and claimed the land called nova albion or new britain which he claimed for himself and the queen and it's um now called california no way yeah he pretty much discovered well he was a westerner who discovered california obviously california was at the time settled um by native americans but he was a westerner who had discovered it um which is kind of cool it's now california and he discovered it on behalf of queen lizzie now there drake and his battle-hardened crew were met by the natives who lived there the americans called the miwoks um the English thought that they were being treated as gods when they were greeted by them, but there is a theory that suggests that that's not the case and that the Miwoks saw them uh, and thought they were spirits because they were pale as hell, obviously being like uh, white English dudes just rocked up. And they're like, fucking hell. Yeah. What the hell, man? You look different. And, uh, and they uh, supposedly they may have thought that they were spirits. And then obviously later on they were like, nah, you're not. You're just dudes. Uh, and so, yeah, they stayed there for five weeks with the Miwoks and they made repairs to their ship and they took on any provisions. And the Miwoks supposedly were very friendly towards them and Drake and his crew were quite friendly towards them. Um, that's not to say that Drake was nice to natives because down in uh, Argentina, he met some natives and they had like a full on battle. And he got like, he got injured. I think he got an arrow shoot past his face and he got a scar on his face. So that was a cool battle scar. But yeah, he, he killed some natives. Like, he's not a good dude in that sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they, say they stayed there for five weeks. They made crucial repairs. Now, the only way back home, because he was like, is there a way to get home from here? And they went, no, you kind of have to go back the way you came. Um, the only problem with that is, he, one, he's just came that way and stolen everything on the way. So... All that's there is just some seriously pissed off Spanish people who are just waiting for you mm. to come back because <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're not, you're not, you, you have to come back this way. <laughs> he was like, no, it's not happening. So on July the 15th in 1579, which is nearly at this point two years since he actually first left Portsmouth, that's how long it takes to do all this ship sailing stuff. It's been two years since he last saw England. Drake was heading eastwards from what is now California across the Pacific Ocean, totally unaware of what was out there. And they sailed for 68 days straight with no sight of land before reaching Palua and then the Philippines. Now, this is where Magellan, the last dude, got to. This is where Magellan got and then died. So Drake's matching him so far. From here, home would be an absolute doddle. These routes were more known by traders, like people knew the Spice Islands, they knew how to get there. What they really wanted was to find a quicker route because they were like, we've got to go all the way down, round Africa and go up again. And they were like, there must be an easy way. And that's obviously why 
in our last episode in in previous episodes we spoke about columbus he was like you know if the world is round surely i could just go around it and then didn't realize there was a whole continent there and then just decided to (laughs) you know murder many many people but anyway i digress from there drake headed to the spice islands adding yet more precious cargo to his already expensive haul he weaved his way through the islands of indonesia before heading straight through the indian ocean and towards uh, the southernmost tip of Africa before making a beeline home. When Drake arrived in Plymouth on the 26th of September in 1580, nearly three years since he left with one ship, was all that was left of the five that originally had left, and 59 men left of the 164 that had started out. He was greeted as a national hero, and his cargo made him and all the rest of his sponsors, including the Queen, very very wealthy people and that is where we shall end part one of sir francis drake next week we shall talk about how he gets on now that he's back home and now he is famous uh we will get onto that he starts to become famous and then we have to talk about the spanish armada i look forward to that yeah man so that so far, Sir Francis Drake. What do we think of him? Um, well, considering the story started with him transporting slaves, I'm not his biggest fan. No, no, exactly. Um, again, like Drake's a grey, grey area guy. He's today in England, in Britain, seen as like a national maritime hero, and he's someone that like uh, seamen look up to and aspire to be like as an adventurer and you know, as a, as a, this, this outward spirit, but, you know, he was also one of these guys who at one point in his start, in his life, and it, it was the only time it seems he had done that, transported slaves and fought indigenous people and tried to claim land for, you know, his country and stuff. So, yeah, it's very grey. Yeah. I think that's a typical British mentality though, isn't it? Like, will overlook the bad because they did some good. Oh, 100%. 100%. Like um like it's how it, it's it's very much like how um British imperialism and empire is taught in schools today. It's like, yeah, the uh, the, the British empire once ruled over uh, three quarters of the globe and it's like, yeah, but how did they get to that point? And it's like, no, they, don't talk about that. Yeah, like oh. I think this brings us on to the uh, topic that we were going to address anyway. Like, Obviously, there's a big movement at the minute, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, and part of that is to teach in UK schools our colonial past about our yep. empire, which I fully support. Absolutely. Because I, I, I think blind patriotism is a problem in this country. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great segue to get on to that point. Um, so far, like, I really hope you've enjoyed uh, part one of Sir Francis Drake, and you'll join us for part two um uh but obviously like we've yeah we've um there's 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 a movement going on at the moment this is not just that this is not new this has been happening for like decades if not centuries this fight uh and it's 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 so prevalent at the moment um in in the u.s we all know what happened uh george floyd was murdered by a police officer for just having like a fake dollar like dollar bill you know uh if 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 it was a white dude it might have been funny and it might be a story that the dude would tell at a dinner party but it wasn't it was a black guy and 
he was murdered by a police officer, which it seems to be just such an all too common occurrence in America. Now, we have to point out the UK is not innocent in this. Like, in fact, where does where does where in, in terms of like a country like the US, where does where does the US learn its stuff? Where it learns it from us? You know, in the sense that you know, for a lot for the most part, a lot of you know, you know US citizens have their heritage coming from England in, in that sense, you know, um, and, and England is the UK itself is not innocent in this. There is systemic racism happening in the UK that is also around. Um, so yeah, we wanted to sort of make a point of the fact that, you know, me and James, that's what people do podcast. You have a full support in anything that you want to go through with this. Like we support you. Black lives do matter, you know, uh, yeah, this is kind of like off script for us. We, we it was something we wanted to sort of just make a, make it aware to you guys. If you don't agree, if you're one of these all lives matter guys, like just don't don't be that guy. If you want to be that guy, we don't want you here. This is not your place. I suppose James, do you agree with that, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. Going off on a on a whim here. Yeah, Ryan's off script. It's a uh interesting one but yeah it, it uh, we we fully support the black lives matter movement um i don't really know what else to add to be honest with you it's obviously it's become a lot to the forefront within the past week or two but obviously it's a fight that many people have been fighting for centuries and uh as two white dudes i know that we discussed that perhaps we have li- well not perhaps we have lived a very privileged life and we can what what whilst we are non-racist like we can proudly say we are non-racist we will strive to become more anti-racist i think that's fair 100 percent, absolutely we will and, use our we will use our platform that we have here we'll use the privilege that we have in order to hopefully one day completely eradicate racism from the world it's a big fight but all of our um black listeners black friends and black people around the world and all other ethnic minorities you have our full support 100 percent, 100 percent. love you guys um and i suppose what we can do as well is just help to educate everyone you know we have a platform here we have a podcast so what and we talk about you know people and and in a way the human experience so you know we almost have like a some responsibility to sort of tell the 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 stories that are out there and these people that have helped you know somewhere to make humans lives better we talk about the bad aspects of humans and all we can do is help to try and learn and um you know listen and learn and, then and hopefully we do that through history. Better. I think well, I think we we touched on it a lot with um Columbus about how the slave trade began. We we've, we've discussed um Harriet Tubman and Henry Brown and their yeah. their plight. Um ho- hopefully through through history we can learn and become better for the future. We're always learning. We're always progressing and evolving and becoming better, better humans. Yeah, because we're not perfect. Like I'll, I will fully admit that we're not perfect. I've made mistakes. I 100% will make mistakes in the future. But it's important to call people out when they make mistakes. And if you are called out, it's important to not get defensive. It's important to assess why you've been called out and learn from that and be better. Totally. So, yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please join us next week for part two of Sir Francis Drake. I hope you guys... I'm really glad you're doing a two-parter. I didn't realise you were doing a two-parter, and I'm really glad you are, because I didn't... I had no one for next week yet, so it gives me another week. 
great because when I go, James, would you like to give us a hint of who you have next week? And you go, no. Absolutely no fucking clue. So this gives me another week. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, look forward to part two next week, guys. Uh, and we will see you then. Stay safe. And we love you guys. Farewell. Bye.